everyone, and welcome back to It's Super Important, the podcast about adaptations in general. My name is Jules. And I'm Zoe, and today we're going to be talking about the 2022 Netflix adaptation of Persuasion by Jane Austen. The the process of learning about this, like, as the, like, cultural knowledge of this movie coming to be was happening, was very strange. So was this announced first, or was the Sarah Snook Persuasion announced first? I feel like the Sarah Snook one was announced first. Yeah, I think so. And then the Netflix one was announced saying it was Dakota Johnson. Yes. And then we got, I think, the rest of the cast for both of them around the same time. Well, we got at, like, least at least Wentworth for the for other. For, yeah. I think it was like Fox that was making the. Sarah right. Snook and one. it was it was going to be Frenchie from Our Flag Means Death. Yes. And he, Joel Fry is the actor. Yeah. And he would have been so good. I think he would have been good. I know he was also in uh, Cruella. Yeah. I really like him, and I think he would have done a great job. He's very charming. Yeah. So we learned about that, and then the Netflix one came out with more cast, and they said, William Golding's in it. Henry Golding. And they said, and they said Henry Golding's in it, and we were like, hell yeah. And they said, playing Mr. Elliot. Which makes no sense. Well, not necessarily. Yeah. The thing is, Henry I said William Golding's the name of the guy who wrote Lord of the Flies. Yeah. <laughs> Henry Golding's a very handsome man. Yes. I don't think anyone could deny that. And the idea of him being a romantic Austin boy, fun. Yes. And I know that he was, like, given the cho- his choice of role and he didn't want to be the romantic lead. And I respect mm-hmm. that. I, I absolutely respect that choice that he made. However, the big problem for me comes in, and I hate to say this because he's been acting for a very long time looking at his IMDb. Like, he's not a newcomer. He, but he does not had any real lead roles. And that's my first real problem with the movie. Cosmo Jarvis is not good in this. Yeah, he really is not. And yeah. it's not even that Henry Golding and Dakota Johnson have that much chemistry. It's just that yeah. Dakota Johnson and Car- Cosmo Jarvis have none. And so, and yeah. there's nothing compelling about anything that's happening between them. I rewatched it for preparation for this episode. We watched it together the first yeah. time we watched it. And I repeatedly made the joke the first time we watched it that he looked like he was holding in a fart. Yeah. Like, in every scene where he was looking at Anne. Because he does. And I think what he was going for was the emotional sort of constipation of, for example, the Matthew McFadden Darcy. Right. I think that's what he was going for. But he just didn't pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I feel like a lot of my issues with this movie are that they did not understand the source material. They yeah. did not understand... What the story of persuasion is. Yeah. Because there are a lot of superfi- su- more superficial things that we can complain about. We can complain about the random modern lines thrown in that are kind of sometimes cringe, sometimes like, oh, that's kind of funny. Like Mary would say I'm an empath if she was like right. around now. Like For me, my, my problem with the anachronisms is not that they exist. It is that they are inconsistent. Yes. Yes. Um. I am all for anachronisms, you know? I think yeah. if you if you do it well, um, they are fun. Um, it's about having a creative vision and yeah. executing that creative vision. And this movie, I feel like, did not really do that because it's just this thing where Anne is way more modern than everyone else. Yeah. Half of the dialogue is, like, vaguely old and half of it is, like, modern it just it just doesn't hang together creatively as a movie, I feel like, for that reason. Well, like, Anne Elliot just doesn't really make sense as a character to make super anachronistic in, like, a setting that otherwise is not. This is something I had a lot of thoughts about watching it for this time. Because the way that they, the way they portray Anne is very different from in the book. Where in the book... The book is a third-person narration, and um, the thing about Austen is her, narr- her narration can kind of easily slide from point of view in even, like, the same scene. Yeah, like, it's, it's it's very omniscient. It's third person, but she will be in Anne's head for one sec- for one paragraph and then spend a paragraph in Wentworth's head and then back to Anne, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. And making it a, uh, a, like, her talking to the camera would work in a different Austin story, I think. But not yeah. persuasion. Not persuasion, because I think persuasion, persuasion and Emma, I think, do that the most of all the Austin novels, where they yeah. kind of switch between characters, and it'll be omniscient, and then it'll be more close, and um, 
you know, it's a very masterful thing that Jane Austen does. Yeah. I think it's called free indirect discourse where she gets us really, really close to the character's consciousness. And it's like we are fully in their head in the narration. Mm-hmm. And then she'll just seamlessly switch to someone else. Yeah. Um, it's not the same as having a first person narrator. It's not the same as having like yeah. one close third person point of view character. It just isn't. Well, my problem with the narration starts from like the first, not the first scene with like the flashback of them kissing on a field. Um, my problem with the narration starts with the introduction of Anne and her family and Sir Walter, et cetera. Because in the book, it opens that way with Sir Walter like reading a book about his family. Right. And Austin does that so you can, as the viewer, can all, reader can also learn about the family, but it also shows how Sir Walter is so obsessed with like his own lineage and stuff like that. Right. He's he's extremely vain. He's extremely obsessed with, you know, rank and class and privilege and, and beauty. Yeah. In this, we have Richard E. Grant, who I wish I liked more as Sir Walter. Same. Because um, <laughs> Richard E. Grant's great, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't feel like they used him properly. I feel like he could have been good in the role, but they didn't. Yeah, but he, he's like reading the book out to Elizabeth and Anne. And he's like, oh, Sir Walter. And then his daughter, Elizabeth, who was right here, so he's sitting next to her. And he and then Anne says to the camera, "My sister, like, yeah." And we get it. <laughs> yeah, like we don't need both. No, we don't. And I feel like that's another problem with this movie in general. Maybe as a movie, it's like over-explaining things. The audience can follow the plot. Yeah, it's really not a very complicated story. No, the the complexity comes in like the the emotions of it. It's yeah. not the things that are happening there aren't even that many characters and they did cut some characters i i yeah. have thoughts later i can talk about later about them cutting mrs smith oh um, yeah that we can maybe talk about it's not a huge deal but it kind of ties into some of the stuff that i think they miss about Anne in the book so they have stuff like that with like sir walter is like oh and, ta- and then there's my daughter mary who is married and has two two sons and and Anne's like yeah, that's my sister. And we, we get it. We, we know. know. We, we get it. We don't need both. We either get Sir Walter proudly reading this book about his family, or we get Anne explaining everyone to us. We don't need both. Right. I like Lady Russell. Nikki, Nikki Amuka Bird, I think is her name. Yeah, she was good. I like her a lot. I really like the bit where Anne and her are talking, like having a picnic or something. And Anne's like, what, have you never thought about remarrying? Or finding love of your own, and Lady Russell's like, "What do you think all those European tours? What do you think I was doing on those?" <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah, get it, Lady Russell, <laughs> get it. Yes. Though also in that scene is, I think, one of my least favorite pieces of costuming, where I feel like Anne is wearing a top from Urban Outfitters. It's like horrific. <laughs> yeah, and that was another thing. Like when when this movie was announced, um, and there were like pictures of mm-hmm. Dakota Johnson, yeah, that looked distinctly non Regency. My impression was that they were setting it later. The first was like one of those black dresses with like the choker and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And it wasn't as horrendous as like a lot of the things that she wears in the movie. And I yeah. just thought that they were setting it like later Victorian or something. And that was just a choice <laughs> that they had made. Uh, but no, they just, Anna's just anachronistic and everyone else is sort of Regency. Well, that's the thing. I feel like when they're thinking about it, they think we're either going to make it in the Regency or we're going to do a modern adaptation. There's no right. thought of like, what if we put it the Great Depression in America? You know, like they're not right. thinking about that. And I mean, I think like if you're really thinking about persuasion as a book, it mm-hmm. is Jane Austen's closest thing to historical fiction because it is so intertwined with the Napoleonic Wars. It like- ends very like the last line of the book is so sad. Yeah. And is like, hang on, I have the book with me. I'm going to read it. She gloried in being a sailor's wife, but she must pay the tax of quick alarm for being belonging to that profession, which is, if possible, more distinguished in its domestic virtues than in its national importance. So it's basically like she's so happy at Wentworth, but she's like, oh, God, he's going to have to go to war. Like, I don't know. Persuasion is very deliberate with like dates and stuff in a way that no other Austin is. The rest of them are all very vague about that. Like, Mm -hmm. don't really know when it's set and in adaptations people will decide like either to set it when it was published or like when the original draft was written Mm -hmm. um or just sort of like vaguely regency and it doesn't make any difference like so long as you're consistent about it it doesn't matter 
Um, yeah. With persuasion, if you're setting it any other time than, I think 1806 is when Anne and Wentworth break up the first time, and yeah. then it's eight years. So it would be um, 1814, yeah. which is like the wall in the Napoleonic Wars. Like that was done very deliberately. And yeah. if you're setting it in a different time period, you just need to like think about the like cultural context and like yeah. what is the thing that is making Wentworth and all of the like naval characters more available for this period of time than they would have maybe been previously. Like you don't have to think about that, but I feel like a good adaptation would and, or would just set it when it is set in the book. And this adaptation just didn't think. Yeah. Well, they didn't even think about the historical context at all. I really think they wanted to do a a Pride and Prejudice 2005, which yeah. I know people have problems with that movie. Um, like people like it a lot or people don't like it as an adaptation, but it's a pretty beloved movie overall. Right. I think it is not my favorite adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, but I think it is one of the most successful Austin movies that is a mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. Like, I I don't like all of the choices it made with the book, but I think that obviously it had to shorten things to feature film length and it had to like streamline stuff and it had to maybe exaggerate certain things for effect. Like the Bennett's are much poorer in that movie than they are in the book, but they're doing like the movie is doing that on purpose, right? Because they want it to be exaggerated that there's like a difference in like Elizabeth and Darcy's like class situation. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they made it more obviously financial where, you know, in in the book, it's not that's not quite what's going on. But like, I understand the choices that that movie made, even if I don't agree with them. And I understand why it's so loved because it's also just a pretty movie with attractive people with good chemistry. Well directed. Yeah. Like, well shot. That goes a long way. And this movie is in some scenes very well, very beautiful. I think a lot of the more like indoor, like less like landscapey scenes are kind of shot kind of boringly. But when they're like outside in some British countryside area, I like how it looks. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed the shots of the countryside more than I enjoyed the movie. Um, (laughs) Like dialogue parts of the movie. What are some things we like about the movie? Hmm. For me, the main, the star is Louisa. Yeah, Louisa is fantastic. (laughs) She deserves so much better than this movie. Yeah. um do you have the actress's name yes um it's nia towley yeah she needs to be in a lot of things she's so cute she's She's so so charming did you see that so the brown dress that louise is in when we first see her is apparent was apparently also elizabeth wore that in prime prejudice like it's the same dress oh shit yeah one thing i I do like is a closeness between like anne and louisa and henrietta like i like her having some friends i think part of the thing in the book is that she has kind of cut herself off from her friends, and that's why the later reunion with Mrs. Smith means a lot to her. Um, right. But because Mrs. Smith is not in the movie, I'm okay with her having more friends earlier. Louisa wanting Anne to pursue Wentworth at first is odd to me. Like, I think it is meant to, first of all, make Louisa and Anne closer, and second of all, endear us to Louisa. But then it doesn't endear me to Louisa later when she's like, actually, what if I went after him instead? Right. It's it's extremely messy. Yeah. It's like it's like implied Louisa can sense there's something that there's some tension between Anne and Wentworth. Right. Like she is much more observant in this movie than she is in the book. And yet she still does the same things. But yeah, she was definitely my favorite character. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't say that. I thought a lot of the other, like, side characters were well cast. I think Mary... Mary was hilarious. Like I said, if the anachronisms had been consistent... Yeah. Um, I would have thought that... And and I still saw, thought that a lot of Marys were really funny, like the I'm an empath stuff. And, like, she was a funny character. Yeah. Even though the whole creative vision of things did not work. One thing I did notice is that a lot of the characters family resemblance wise is really good. Like yeah. the actress they got from Mrs. Croft absolutely looks like she could be what Cosmo Jarvis's sister, the the Musgroves, and then Elizabeth and Mary look a lot alike. Anne stands out though. Anne does not look like either right. of her sisters at all. She's not like other girls. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean the thing is, like in the book, she's also not like other girls, but not in like a good way. <laughs> like, right. She's not like other girls in the sense that like Anne has depression. 
Like, yeah, she does. It's very clear. You know, Jane Austen didn't necessarily know what that is, but yeah. it's described very clearly. Um, yeah. And, like, quite frankly, very relatably. <laughs> um, yeah. I, there's one part I want to read, actually, that I really, this is early in the book, I think, like, chapter four. Yeah. Um, we're talking about Anne after the engagement. More than seven years were gone since this little history of sorrowful interest had reached its close. And time had softened down much, perhaps nearly all of peculiar attachment to, to him. But she had been too dependent on time alone. No aid had been given in change of place, except in one visit to Bath soon after the rupture, in any novelty or enlargement of society. So I like that. That's basically, the implication of that is that Anne has, over time, not necessarily grown happier, but grown distant from the thought of Wentworth. But right. she has not really gotten back into the world. Yeah, and she hasn't been able to, like, move on, not even romantically, yeah. but just, like, mentally and emotionally properly. Yeah. Like, she she has moved on through the distance of time, but she has not moved on by, like, like with her life, because she has yeah. not been able to. Um, yeah, she's really just had no opportunity. Except for, like, the one time when early, like, pretty soon after Wentworth, when Charles Musgrove opposed to her right and that was too early part of why persuasion works so well and part of why Anne and Wentworth work so well and why we root for them so much is that he comes back into her life right when her life starts getting interesting again and yeah and she has an opportunity for like personal growth and exploring her options and like you know not being stuck in the same life that she's been in for the past eight years and still, you know, he's not just like the guy she was into eight years ago who is there again. He also has grown and changed and yeah. and like the versions of themselves that they become over the course of the book work well together. They lifted this line from the book in the book straight to the movie where Wentworth is like, oh, you've always been terrible at cars, and she, uh, uh, but you've probably improved. And she's like, I have not yet so much changed or something like that. Yeah. And that's just very, I love that so much. It's so, like, it's I'm, so I still sweet. suck at cards. Yeah. <laughs> like an acknowledgement of like, we have both grown at people, but like some but, things can't yeah, be some, <laughs> some things are pretty fundamental. Yeah. <laughs> We're kind of all over the place with talking about this. We're not really like going through the movie chronologically, but I think that's okay. Yeah. If you don't, if you haven't read Persuasion, why are you listening or don't know the plot? Why are you listening to this? Um, um, this is probably hell for you. Yeah. Um, so there's too much potential interest, between, I think, between Anne and Mr. Elliot. Yeah. First of all, because Henry Golding is just very charming, but also, like, they have deliberately written Anne to be reciprocating in some ways. Yes. Which is weird because even from the start, he tells her about him trying to stop Mrs. Clay from marrying their father. Right. He's much more transparent about that. In, in this than in the book, I feel like. In the book, it's Mrs. Smith who reveals that to her later, along right. with a lot of other bad stuff yeah. Mr. Elliot did. But, which he doesn't even do in this, so he barely is a villain in this movie. He's closer to Henry Crawford, I think, and that he is kind of a tempting option. Right, exactly. And then, like, he, he's, he kind of sucks in the end, but, yeah. like, yeah. he was not a fundamentally bad person. There's a reason people wish Fanny had ended up with Henry Crawford, but no one wishes Anne had ended up with Mr. Elliot, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's more of a Mr. Collins. Yeah, well, well, Mr. Elliot in the book, like, has stolen money from people and has done... Yeah like really sketchy things and in this movie that's not really the case i also think like i know it's hard in a movie to portray a lot of the internalized emotions of these characters especially Anne, who hides so much yeah the way that they portray Anne in the movie is like someone who read the book and thought Anne shouldn't have to do this right Anne should be allowed to be messy and in some ways Sure, but that's not the character that Austen wrote. No, it's not. And I don't, we have no reason to not believe Austen when she writes that Anne is not that person. It's like reading in between the lines in a way that I don't think is at all, like, helpful for the story. Exactly. Yeah. As much as modern day sensibility, like, feminist sensibilities and whatever would want us to say Anne should be allowed to cry and be emotional and stuff. That's just not who she is. That's not who she is. She's not an outwardly emotional person. You know, she's a depressed introvert. Like that's Yeah. And and she would be in any setting. I think the yeah. you know, the whole thing about she hasn't like 
done anything or gone anywhere in years and she barely has any friends and she's sort of only over her ex because it's been eight years and not because anything else has happened in her life like that just is who the character is and I don't understand wanting to make the character different except for yeah some like misguided feminist sensibility around it and also thinking that that character wouldn't be relatable to the audience which is so weird Mm -hmm. because it's not like people aren't still depressed introverts. I was rereading some pa- some sections of Persuasion for this because I was, what I wanted to do was I wanted to find like sections where she is interacting with Wentworth. Yeah. And like how, what, how often wrote those. Yeah. What I really like is how earlier the moments with Wentworth are like wanting them to be over. Yeah. And then once she realizes, okay, we're, I can't, I'm, he's going to be around for a while. She's at least trying to like not <laughs> be weird about it. Right. And then later at the end, the way that Austin writes Anne's giddiness at the realization that he might still have feelings for her is incredible. Yeah. Did you read that? I keep reading yeah. quotes, but I want to do this. Yeah, no, I want I want that. This is after um they've known that Louisa and Benwick are engaged, which I actually want to talk about because the way they do that in the movie is weird. Uh, Wentworth is is talking about how he he and Louisa wouldn't have worked out and uh but he's also surprised that Benick has moved on so quickly that they're compatible and can see through like the way that he's talking that he's thinking about her in this conversation and so she says after he leaves Anne saw nothing thought nothing of the brilliancy of the room her happiness was from within her eyes were bright and her cheeks glowed but she knew nothing about it she was thinking only of the last half hour, and as they passed their seats, her mind took a hasty range over it. His choice of subjects, his expressions, and still more, his manner and look, had been such as she could see only in one light. His opinion of Louisa Musgrove's inferiority, an opinion which she had seemed solicitous to give, his wonder at Captain Bennock, his feelings as to a first strong attachment, sentences begun which he could not finish, his half-averted eyes, and more than half-expressive glance, all, all declared that he had a heart returning to her at least. That anger, resentment, avoidance were no more, and that they were succeeded not merely by friendship and regard, but by the tenderness of the past. Yes, some share of the tenderness of the past. She could not contemplate the change as implying less. He must love her. Yeah! Oh, I love I, that's so good. Oh like, my god! It's 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 just like pure gaitiness in that, and like pure like sense of relief. I know why they made Louisa marrying Benick a twist, because they needed a twist. Yeah. For some reason, the movie is like, oh, Louisa's gotten engaged. And, but to who? And assumes Wentworth, but it's actually Benick. And she doesn't find out until like the last minute. Yeah. (laughs) In the book, that's like before she even talks to Wentworth after he's come back from uh, Lyme. Right. Admiral Croft tells her that in the book. Yeah. And I think Mary also sends her a letter mentioning it. So she knows. She knows. When she goes into this conversation with Wentworth that you were just talking about, she is assuming that he will be upset that, that Louisa yeah. and Benick are engaged. She's making assumptions about Wentworth's feelings, and then he shows her that that is not the case. But, but basically what he says is like, well, I'm glad they're happy. I mean, I don't get why they like each other, but... Yeah, he's like, seems like a weird couple to me, but like, good for them. Or he's also like, I don't know how Benick was able to recover from his love for Fanny Harville so quickly. Right. And he's like, I can't imagine like loving someone that deeply and then moving on that quickly. And then he like blushes. Yeah. It's wonderful. But here, Anne, in those, in like the equivalence of those conversations in the movie, Anne is under the impression that he is engaged to Louisa. And so she is not trying to read his body language or like the way he's saying things like that. Right. She is kind of assuming the worst. Right. In this movie, Anne and Wentworth just don't have any meaningful conversations with each other so there is no reason to root for them as a couple well there's the one on the beach yeah um which could have been good if it did not end with the now we're worse than exes we're friends yeah that could have been like a positive conversation to help them build to like becoming close again yeah but instead it's like a cheeky little joke what did they want us to feel after that scene Oh, God. Did they want us to feel like there was hope? Did they want us to feel like... I don't know. I don't... Like, I don't understand. I don't know because I don't understand the goals of, like, any of Anne's narration. None of it did anything for me. You know, I think it's just there to for, like, the fleabag aesthetic. A lot has been said about the fleabagification of Anne Elliot. Yeah. And, like, it's not wrong. Yeah. I almost 
can see what they were going for, almost. Because, you know, in, in Fleabag, Fleabag, like, is escaping reality, essentially, in these, like, asides to the camera, and it's like a coping mechanism of some sort, right? And mm-hmm. in in this, maybe they thought, oh, Anne needs a coping mechanism. What about direct addresses to the fourth wall? They're not using them like a Shakespearean monologue does. Right. You know? They're just random snarky comments, which works in Fleabag because that's who the character is. But they, it doesn't work in this because that's not who Anne Elliot is. And it makes no sense for the story that's being told. It makes no sense for her to be doing like witty snarky asides when she has supposedly been depressed and lonely for eight years and Elliot is just a more thoughtful character like she she ruminates on things she like gets anxious about things she could have expressed that anxiety in the aside right exactly there could have been fourth wall breaks that were anxious in some way there could have been like overthinking that sort of thing I think would have been much more interesting there just wasn't enough intentionality behind the choices that they were making with her character. And maybe I'm even being too generous, like, like in my analysis of um, their motives for doing that. But I feel like... I want to have good faith interpretation. Yeah. You know? I don't want to assume the worst. Right. Well, one thing I was thinking about as well is when you read Persuasion, you are very frustrated with Anne's family members. They're all annoying. Yeah. That's the reader. Anne is not... She doesn't hate her family. No. <laughs> like, she... she is like frustrated with her situation but she cares about her family despite all of their issues i thought it was really interesting reading this about how elizabeth was very clearly the favorite of their father and mary and anne were both kind of left behind and the only reason mary is in a different situation now is because she got married right yeah like the father doesn't care about either of them it's just that anne continues to live with him and mary does not and so you know, they're having different lives. And also Mary is not cranky all the time in the book. No. She's described as like having mood swings, basically, where like if she is feeling off, like she's terrible. But if she's in a good mood, she's in a good mood. Like that'll right. happen. Yeah. And like she she is a bit of a hypochondriac. Like she sort of exaggerates her issues for attention. Yeah. But I think she's just like bored. Um, yeah. As most people in this book are. Um, yeah. There's not a lot going on um, in yeah. their lives until, like, the Crofts and Wentworths show up. I do like um, Anne and her and her nephews. There was one scene I liked quite a bit after her first, like, the th- her second conversation with Wentworth, her first real one where there's not, like, other people yeah. there. And she goes to one of her nephews and she says, can you do me a favor? Can you hug me as hard as you can right now. I thought that was a very good answer. Yeah. Because it's her seeking comfort without actually admitting what is wrong. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I'm going to get comfort from this little boy who I don't have to tell why I'm upset. He's just going to hug me because he's my nephew. Like, yeah, I like that. That felt like it fit. And so I like her like loving her nephews as well. Like, yeah, that's cute. it's sweet. It's good. Especially uh, and for Mary. Like, why, why is my screw, why is Charles with her? Like, there's nothing positive about her at all. Right. <laughs> like, and it's also, like, weird when you get into the casting of it. And it's like, she's white and he's not. Yeah. And it's uh, frustrating in a whole other way in that. That is another thing with this movie that I don't know that I feel fully qualified to speak on. But I feel like, you know, it has a diverse cast, but I don't think it was done with a lot of thought. Yeah, I, I just don't think that really any thought was put into, like, how how the diverse casting was operating. Yeah. And, but it wasn't it wasn't no thought in the sense of like um the Ianucci David Copperfield where Dev Patel is David Copperfield and then Agnes is black and her father is Asian and like no, none of it's consistent. It's not just race blind. It's like that, the, the characters have good family resemblance. Yeah, exactly. They cast characters to look like the people they're supposed to be related to, but they didn't think about like about how racial dynamics could play into the relationships. I think it's worse in regards to Charles and Mary. It is. Yeah. And I think also like you know, when I saw that Henry Golding was going to be Mr. Elliot and that Wentworth was going to be white, I definitely had a little bit of like a knee jerk, like yikes reaction to that. I want to double check something because I don't rem- I think Cosmo Jarvis might not be. White. Is he not? Okay. I need to check. I don't know. Um, uh, you keep talking. But 
yeah, so I could be wrong about that, but I mean, that sort of ended up not being a problem in the movie the way I thought it was going to be, just because Mr. Elliot isn't portrayed as being as bad of a person as he is in the book, <laughs> like at all. But again, I just think people weren't really thinking in their casting of the movie beyond aesthetics, which is why some of the casting is really good and some of it, it feels like people were just cast because they look like other people in the movie. Okay, so Cosmo Jarvis, his mother is Armenian. Okay. The woman who plays um, Mrs. Croft, there's like photos of her in other roles wearing like a headdress and stuff. Okay. So I think that, yeah. Yeah, I had assumed. Um, okay. But yeah, I don't know. Like, again, I don't have like a... a actual critique of like the way this movie handled or didn't address race it didn't feel like diversity done with intentionality and it didn't feel like you know fun colorblind casting it wasn't really either of those things yeah because when we say like we're we're both white here yeah and but there will be times when there will be like genuinely things to be upset about in regards to race yeah and this isn't one of them it's just like okay they didn't think this through very well, but there's nothing like that that makes any of this casting like actively racist. Yeah, it's just what it is. So speaking of Cosmo Jarvis, yeah. <laughs> so when the casting came out, I I saw I was like, wait a second. They, they said okay, and then Cosmo Jarvis is playing Wentworth, and everyone was like, who? But I wasn't like who. <laughs> I was like, gay pirates, Cosmo Jarvis. Yeah, <laughs> and you said this to me, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Had you not seen that? No, I had. Because I guess it just went around on Tumblr, because I don't think it was as widely, that that music video was as widely seen. No, as, it definitely wasn't. Um, but I did, like, look it up and watch it again after you were like, it's the gay yeah. pirates guy. He's a musician. Yeah. And in, like, 2011 or something, he had put out a song called Gay Pirates. It's basically a story song about um, a gay pirate and his boyfriend being hung on a pirate ship. Um, and there's a very fun music video, even though it's not completely historically inaccurate because that probably would have been allowed on a pirate ship. Yeah. Whatever. The connection of like, okay, Cosmo Jarvis did the gay pirate song. He's playing Wentworth. Joel Fry was in the gay pirate yeah, show. Exactly. He was going to play Wentworth. If and only, then didn't. If only yeah. he had gotten both. I mean, yeah. like all things being equal, I would have much have rather had the one we didn't get because that's the one I was well, looking forward to. And this one I was like, yeah. it's happening, whatever. Henry Golding is charming. Like that was my only thought before yeah. it came out and was bad. I was excited about Sarah Snook. Yeah. And Ellie. Good. And then, yeah. And, and once I'd watched Our Flag Means Death and the other one already was canceled, I was like, yeah. oh my God, we could have had Joel Fry as Wentworth and that would have been good. From what I heard, the Fox one or whatever company made it, I forget exactly, they canceled it because they didn't want to compete with the Netflix one. Yeah. Which is disappointing to me. It's really disappointing. And like, look, I haven't seen Joel Fry in a lead role, but I just feel like his his vibes would have fit Wentworth. Yeah. Um, And I feel like it would have been like a really good career growth thing for him, you know, yeah. like coming yeah. off of being a, a supporting character in a very popular show and then being the romantic lead in something like that would have been so great. I think it would have been good for Sarah, Sarah Snook, too, because the role everyone knows her from right now is um, Shiv Roy on Succession. Right. Where she's very mean. Yeah. So it would have you know shown her range. And like, it's just so disappointing that we didn't get that movie. And I... I yeah i understand why they were like it was a financial decision yeah. ultimately of course i understand why they were worried about it but also we got three pinocchio movies last year right come on just do it <laughs> yeah like people make duplicates of things all the time there's like new yeah. christmas carol adaptations every year i just watched the yeah. new and it was fun like things get retold that's yeah. part of why this podcast exists is that that's sort of a constant state of media is just like the same story is getting told over and over and over. So I will say, yes, we've got enough Austin. Let's go yeah. Elizabeth Gaskell. Let's go George Eliot. Right. Let's go other ladies. Other there are more ladies. books. Yeah, I know. It's it's like I love Austin, obviously, but I don't yeah. feel like we need so much more. Like we've we've there's pretty much a good 
period drama adaptation of all the Austin except maybe well Mansfield Park. Mansfield Park is a good movie. I like it. It changes a lot. Yeah, but... it's not an accurate adaptation, but I don't know that it is possible to accurately adapt Mansfield Park yeah. and have it work kind as of... a piece of <laughs> yeah. film. That movie that the um... Trisha Ruthima directed it. Yeah, that one. I think was doing what this movie was trying to do. Yes. But Fanny Price has to be changed to work on screen. She has to be a protagonist. To be a protagonist on screen, she has to be different. There's just no way around it. I don't even think Fanny Price is the main character of the book. So if you want her to be the main character of a, a movie, you really have to change things. Like I think Edmund is the main character of the book, which is one reason why the book is not very satisfying in a lot of ways because... Edmund is not a likable character, but (laughs) he just has a lot of issues. That movie, you know, changed things about Fanny so that she would work as the main character. And I respect that choice because it was necessary to make it work. And it's not a perfect movie. It has flaws. I think, you know, it's got a lot of like subtext about slavery that is not really gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's also in the book a bit, but they they tried something. They were translating the same sort of, you know, very subtextual commentary about slavery that Jane Austen didn't really address at all. They also do that in the movie, just sort of in a different way. So they try to address it a little bit, but don't go as far as they maybe could. Right. So I would call that not necessarily like a like an accurate adaptation, but I would call it it's an adaptation that understands the source material and is sticking to like the tone of it and the messaging of it, the themes of it, like all of that. And I feel yeah. like that's really all you can do when a book is as unadaptable as Mansfield Park is. Yeah. But Persuasion is not unadaptable. It has been successfully adapted at least three times prior to this movie. You know. We're biased about our preferences for adaptations. Um, yeah. But, you know, yeah. like the the TV movie from the 90s with Amanda yeah. Brun and Kieran Hines is quite good. Like, it's, yeah. it, is it a good looking movie? Not really, but it... <laughs> Um, I feel like use the yeah. resources at its disposal to tell the story effectively. I feel like the cast is mm-hmm. good. And I feel like just as a period drama adaptation of Persuasion, it does the job. And then, you know, obviously Rational Creatures has just finished and that is modern yeah. Persuasion. And it was very successful at, at what it was doing. So unless you're doing something like radically different from one of those two, I don't feel that it is like a necessary thing to make. But I still yeah. was excited about the Sarah Snook, Joel Fry one because of the cast. Because again, like Dakota Johnson, it was like they picked the name of white women actors just out of a hat. Right. It felt like. Dakota Johnson. Yeah, like, seriously. It could have easily been like three other white women. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, like a, any white actress with name recognition. Freaking uh, Florence Pugh. Throw her in oh there. Oh my God. That would have been weird. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't think she would have been a good answer. No. Honestly. She's too young. Well, how old is she? I don't know. She's like 25, 26. I don't know. Okay, I don't but know. But she has a young face, so I feel like she wouldn't have yeah. been a good aunt. I would like to see Florence Pugh in an Austin adaptation, maybe, but I yeah. don't know that we need more Austin adaptations. In regards for, like, other books, like, I definitely think Gaskell is under-tapped. Yeah. Like, North and South has, had like, one, really, adaptation. The one with uh, Joseph... What's his name? Right, yeah. that guy. And the, and there's the Cranford miniseries, which I am a big fan of. Um, I haven't seen that. When is that from? Like 2006. Um, okay. It, it's like three novellas combined into one miniseries. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. Okay. That could be actually worth talking about at some point. I wasn't even thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, on the list. Yeah, I need to. I've only read one of the three novellas, but um it's got a, a you know a fun cast the entirety of england is in it as with many of <laughs> as usual um, but you know like judy dench is there eileen atkins is there it's got aspects of it that i look at now and i'm like hmm this was made in 2006 by people who were not thinking about any social issues yeah. ever but like you know could be worth talking about. But yeah, I, I, do think- I think also it's been a while since we've had a period Middlemarch adaptation. Yeah. I think that's right for adapting. I know there was, the, again, the, the video series, the web series. Yeah. Um, 2017. Yeah. Which I quite liked, but it's different. 
you know it's a yeah yeah it's a different sort of things. thing and yeah yeah I, I'm all for a good period adaptation of middle march um or like there's like th- there's like a bunch of romances to play with in that yeah and a bunch of kissing right like there's, there's... the lattice law is underappreciated yeah he's a handsome lovely boy yes <laughs> i mentioned earlier i wanted to talk about mrs smith being excluded yes uh, i don't want to talk a little bit about that okay let's because mrs. Smith. mrs smith is a character i like had forgotten about almost before i reread passages and i understand why she was cut from the movie because she doesn't really show up until anna's in bath which is like the last third of the right movie. but i think she gives a lot of interesting context to Anne as a person because first of all she's like a girl that Anne went to school with when she was miss hamilton yeah and then mrs smith got married her husband died now she is like doesn't have, she doesn't have any kids she's like sewing things yeah she has a rough life she lives in the poor neighborhood of bath but Anne is so excited is so happy to see her again a friend from around before her mother died like i yeah. i don't think there's enough talk about how her mother dying is also obviously very much a trauma on her yeah um, and i think she's sort of like taken on more responsibility and more like emotional stuff and like mental load in her life because of her mother dying yeah in a way that maybe things would have been easier and better if that hadn't happened and there had been someone else responsible around and there's also the fact of like mrs russell comparing Anne so much to her mom who was lady russell lady russell's friend right and which definitely is like putting unfair expectations on yeah but also like when Anne is thinking about uh, mr elliot proposing her 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 one thing is like the only thing about it that appeals to her is the possibility of being lady elliot like her mom yeah like besides that he like she has no interest in him like that's the one thing like that would be good but besides that no but like she goes to see mrs smith and she's like i'm gonna come back i'm gonna see you more and mrs smith is like i don't know if you will and then like also sir walter and elizabeth are like oh Anne, you were in the poor neighborhood you shouldn't go in there right but in the end it's like no she does keep in contact with mrs smith and she like helps her get connections and stuff like that in the in the navy yeah and so that's like a good resolution to that it is there are themes of that storyline that could have been put into different parts of the movie. Yeah. Like the idea of Anne like reconnecting with friends or something could have been transformed into like her dating a closer relationship with Mary, you know, right. like yeah, or just- some kind of reconnection of, or like becoming friends with people, like finding a life for herself outside of her family or like, anything. Like that could have been shifted and put into other parts. If they wanted to do like the the feminist girl boss thing, just Anne finding other interests and other things to do, which is what Rational Creatures did with that, essentially. Yeah, like they don't yeah. have a Mrs. Smith, they have like Anne Anna like applying to grad school and stuff, right? Like that yeah. was kind of what they did in place of that and it, it worked. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. I feel like I don't know. It, it's just this thing again of I feel like the people making this adaptation did not fully think about what the characters needed like like what mm-hmm. who is Anne and what does she need what mm-hmm. is her character arc yeah. and like if we're cutting other bits of the story how do we make sure that her character arc still works they didn't and uh, another um I don't have it marked down but I saw like a quote from it come up on Tumblr where like Anne is looking at Wentworth with his like circle of friends and thinking those could have been my friends too. Yeah. Like that is absolutely a relatable thing. Right. And she like starts connecting too like Benick and and the Crofts and all of yeah. that and and you know her conversation with Harville at the end I think is all signs of like her working well with Wentworth's friends and circle of people and like that being kind of a sign that their relationship is going to work because she already fits in well with the people in his life. I just realized something. What? Is there literally any scene in the movie where Wentworth is like chatting with Harville and Benick? Like, are they like that really at all portrayed as like his friends besides like Harville saying to Anne like, oh, we want him to go back to sea or whatever. I Which, don't think so. Yeah. First yeah. of all, I saw weirdly a lot of chemistry between Anne and the guy who played Harville. Like that, I was like, screw it. Become a threesome with Harville and his wife. Whatever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like they weirdly had a lot of chemistry. <laughs> that would have been better. I And she and Benick had like a decent rapport in the right. scenes. Right. Yeah. 
She just yeah. she has more chemistry with everyone than she has. With Literally more chemistry with Louisa. More chemistry yeah. with. I, hey, I shipped that honestly. Yeah. yeah. Anna and Louisa, like in this version of things, that could yeah. be fun. <sighs> Sigh. So I think we're base. Unless you have any like real big points you want to talk about, I think uh-huh. we're basically done. Yeah, I think we basically are. So if we want to suggest like adaptations of persuasion, we do like the 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 one you mentioned, the TV movie. You yeah, think it's a good period one, even though it doesn't look all that pretty. You can't make nice aesthetic TikTok edits of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of like shaky cam, but yeah. they did it on purpose. Like yeah. I think, like I said, they they had very little money, clearly, mm-hmm. um, but they were very intentional about how they used like the resources that they had. I appreciate that, and I think the casting is very good. I think that. The, like, styling is very deliberate, like, the way that Anne sort of, you know, she she is not younger or more attractive or anything mm-hmm. later in the thing, but she looks more, she, like, comes to life more. She's happier, yeah. Like, visibly. Visually, and that is yeah. the thing that is described in the book that I think is portrayed very well. I, I really like that they cast, like, normal-looking people. Like, no one is super yeah. hot. Honestly, Kieran Hines kind of weird-looking, I think. Right. I think Kieran Hines is weird-looking, but I think he's a fantastic actor, and I think he is really, really good as Wentworth. Like, I think yeah. he just really brings something to that role that really, really works. And because Persuasion is shorter than other Austin novels, they pretty much fit the whole plot into, like, a two-hour movie in a way that you can't quite with like Pride and Prejudice or Emma, like you have to cut things yeah. from those books. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like it is, it, it works. You know, if you want yeah. a period drama adaptation of Persuasion, if you haven't read it and maybe you would like to just know the plot, that is a good one. And then uh, I'm going to recommend Rational Creatures, but I will say I I am, I feel needs to disclose this, honestly. Like I am biased in multiple senses, one of them being um, I'm technically on the crew for it. In yeah. that, like, I helped them put together a soundtrack, and I have done, like, a, helped them, like, with editing the script and stuff. So that's my disclosure, but also, I think it's very good. And there's a reason I wanted to help them find songs for it, is because I wanted to have good songs for those scenes, because I wanted them to be good. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, also, like, know the creators. I'm not nearly mm-hmm. as close to it as Jules is, but I, I do know the mm-hmm. people who created it, and I um, did, you know, give money to their crowdfunding. We literally, we interviewed them on this podcast. We interviewed them on this podcast, like, two years ago, like, yeah. We, <laughs> this this isn't a secret that we know these people and are very close to this thing. However, I genuinely think that it is very good. Obviously, it's very different because it's a modern adaptation, but they thought about a, a lot of things like character arcs. What what mm-hmm. does Anne need? What does Wentworth need? Who did they used to be and who are they now? And for like what we were saying about the diversity, Anne and Mary are Anna and Marisol, Elias. Yeah, they're, they're Argentinian. They come from an immigrant family and there's a lot of like, it's very intense how that is written. yeah 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 exactly like there's the, like a, a whole interesting dynamic put into Anna and Mary Sills characters as in like how that also shapes them into the way they are now as, as opposed to them just being like oh we're just gonna cast whoever they were very intentional about that yeah I like it and it works really really well yeah I mean and there's like a lot of diversity in the cast in general it's very queer there's like Hardly any straight people. I mean, I guess Elliot. Elliot is straight. He's barely in yeah. it. But that's the thing. Like Elliot has a greatly reduced role, but it doesn't feel like necessarily like they needed to increase it. Like I said, they replaced the like Mrs. Smith stuff with just more character growth for Anna, more like personal yeah. stuff. And it's a different choice, you know. It's it, but it is a choice. It is a deliberate choice yeah. that they made with the script. And it works within the context of what they ended up writing exactly so yeah i think it's very good i you know was yeah. very satisfied by it and will be re-watching it for sure from start mm-hmm. to finish now that it is done i think that's basically it for our episode on persuasion 2022 those are our suggestions for if you want an adaptation of persuasion tv movie and rational creatures yes our next episode we're not quite sure what we're gonna do we're thinking maybe um a book duology yeah Alice and misrule the other ideas we've had for like doing next i think the one movie is not out yet we were thinking we wanted to do ella enchanted but we can't do ella enchanted because of the harper collins union yeah so if you would like to hear an episode about ella enchanted maybe go support the union etc yeah, the harper collins union they are on yeah. strike and are asking that people hold um reviews of their books and like it, mm. you know featured discussions of harper yeah. collins books until the union 
is no longer yeah. on strike and their demands have been met by the publisher. So a bit of context there. We're just going to wait to do an Ella Enchanted episode. But that is something we're going to be doing because um, I think we're going to have a lot of thoughts. And I just finished the Malice and Mithril uh, duology, which you recommended to me. Yeah. Which is basically, it's kind of a mashup of fairy tales. It's mostly Sleeping Beauty, but there's some Cinderella in there. Especially in the first book. Yeah. There's a couple. There's some there's a bunch of things kind of mashed around. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff going on. I think like a lot of the Sleeping Beauty stuff is the fairy tale and a lot of it is the Disney movie, especially like the princess being named Aurora. Yeah, and, and like the Maleficent versus Malice thing. Yeah, like that's that's pretty yeah. clear. Yeah, I think they're interesting, good books to talk about, both like as books and adaptationally. So we yeah. might do that or we might pick something else. I thought Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey was out already. I was wrong. It's coming out in a couple months, in like a month or so. Yeah. I want to talk about it. I'm seeing it yeah. in the theaters. I want to see it. <laughs> yeah. So that one, like, we will be, as soon as it comes out, we will both be watching it and then we will be discussing that, but it's not out for a while. So I was assuming it was like an extremely low budget Amazon, like, Prime thing, but I guess it has enough budget to be released into the theaters. So I don't know. We'll see. I hope it will yeah. be shown in the theater I'd like to go to and that someone I know will want to go with me. I, Mark will go with yeah. me. They're a big fan <laughs> nice so yeah we'll we'll do that um, oh another thing i want to um do that i need to add to this thing roger corman produced edgar Allan poe movies oh so you know who roger corman is that just i was thinking about that because um we were talking about like shitty low-grade horror movies yeah <laughs> so roger corman is a very prolific was a very prolific b-movie producer and he produced a bunch of adaptations especially of Edgar Allan Poe short stories. Oh. These were all released yeah. in the 60s. He did House of Usher, Pit in the Pendulum, Tales of Terror, like a Raven, a lot of stuff. Vincent Price is in House of Usher, like. Yeah. I'm very interested. Yeah, that um, would be fun. Malice and Misrule is seeming like a likely next episode, but we could do something else. We're in very early stages of this podcast right now where we're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> yeah. So. If you are listening to this, let us know uh, what worked, what didn't yeah. work. You know, if things that didn't work, you can find us on social media. And let us know what you thought about Persuasion 2022. Yeah, seriously. Or, or if you also, if you have any adaptations of other things you'd like us to. Yeah, we are at It's Super Impod on Instagram mm -hmm. and Twitter. Should we make a TikTok or should I just let you post them? <laughs> um, I think you should just post them because you already have like TikTok yeah, followers. Sure. I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, if you want to follow me on TikTok, I'm at Bisexual Wentworth, which is, is a rational is, creatures reference. It's a rational creatures reference and is a you know, is a persuasion thing. So obviously yeah. I am very attached to persuasion. Um also I just mm -hmm. think it's a good good username. People do sometimes assume that Wentworth is my last name though, which it is not. <laughs> um last name starts with the W, but that's not when correct. I'm in like a Twitch chat and someone randomly glances at my name, they call me Rainy. Oh it's like that's not me. No, that's not <laughs> correct. Yeah, but that's fine. Yeah. I get it. It's the first thing they see. Right. But yeah, thank you very much for listening to this episode. We'll see yeah. you next time. Bye.